Welcome to the People, Purpose, and Profits Business Coaching Podcast with Brian Buck and Kat Park. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the People, Purpose, and Profits Business Coaching Podcast. This is Brian Buck, and my wonderful co-host is... Kat. And I am excited to have our guest and my friend, Kimberly Davis, join us. Uh, she's the author of Brave Leadership, an outstanding book. If you haven't got a chance to read that, please do. And TED Talker. And we got to connect through a group called Humans First. But we've taken our friendship and connection past. And I got to see her do a keynote and uh, has followed her work outside of that. And you're in for a treat. So welcome, Kimberly. I'm so excited to be here with both of you. This is going to be great fun. Oh, great. So there's so much to share, um, but let's start off with our normal question. Tell us for you, you know, when you think about the work that you do, people, purpose, profits, how do those work together or how do those resonate for you in the, yeah. in the work and mission you're doing? And, and maybe in your time in life or focus is one of those three, like a stronger draw right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great question, Brian. So I look at, at people and profits, I mean, people and purpose almost intertwined because for me, purpose is about making an impact on the people. So I, I have a hard time teasing those things apart. And when I do, it actually gets me in trouble in, from, from a purpose perspective. All of my work really is purpose work. And so, um, so everything that I do is, is really about what can I do to have the impact that I want to have? And usually that is on another human being. So that's, I look at those things as, as completely intertwined. And when it comes to profits, I look at profits or any kind of number or result really as a byproduct of purpose. So if you can, if you can focus on achieving your purpose in the given situation, which which has an impact on the human beings in the situation, the people side, then the byproduct of that is that People want to be a part of what you're up to. They want to listen. They want to engage. They, they, from a leadership perspective, they want to follow, not have to follow. The byproduct of that is people want to do business with you. The byproduct of that is people may want to buy books. They want to, may want to call you. But I look at the results, the profit side, as a byproduct. And because I've, what I've learned over the years is we get so myopically focused on the numbers that the numbers alone are not enough to ensure that we're showing up as our best, most authentic and powerful self, to ensure that we're showing up as constructively and responsibly in the world. And I've, I've had the, the great privilege to work with uh, thousands of leaders and emerging leaders over the years. And um, early in my business, I was working with a lot of senior executives uh, from in the C-suite that were working for a nonprofit uh, to, they were, so the, I started my business back in 2008. This is when the whole economy crashed. And there were a lot of C-level executives that were out of work. And so this nonprofit partnered C-level executives with nonprofits for high-level consulting for free, right? So they had all the profits. They knew the numbers. They had had the fancy offices and the big salaries. And they've had, they sent their kids to private schools and had, you know, all the, the, the things that we think of when we think of this person's really, really successful. And yet they'd show up in my classroom 
and they would have totally lost their sense of self. They, they, you know, most of these people had, uh, had, were on their second or third marriages. Many of them had health issues. Uh, many of them had sacrificed their relationships with their kids along the way. And here they are looking at, you know, this 30, 40 year career in which they were focused on the profits. They're focused on, you know, creating shareholder value. Um, and they're sitting in my classroom wondering what it was all for. Mm. They totally lost any sense of identity. They had no idea about their purpose and why they did what they did or why they choose to do what they want to do in the, why would they would choose to do what they want to do in the future. And so I believe that the profits, profits are absolutely a byproduct of powerful, of a powerful purpose of putting your purpose in action. Absolutely. And I find that a lot of people actually trip over the fact that, you know, they're so focused on the numbers that they do subpar work on, you know, everything that they want to do, and they kind of get lost just because of the numbers and, you know, they value just, they say, well, just because I haven't had a $10,000 month, you know, I'm not of value or I'm a failure, whatever it is that they do. And like you said, you know, that sense of self kind of diminishes. And I'm curious to find out, cause I know Brian knows a lot more, so I'll be asking you a lot of <laughs> questions, but I do want to find out how did you get into this type of work and what exactly, you know, drove you to it. Well, I have taken a very circuitous path in life. So for me, it has certainly not been a, a direct line from point A to point B. I grew up in a small town in, um, in Montana, Northwest Montana, on a ranch. And I spent, you know, my after schools feeding 200 cows every night after school. And, um, and our, our weather was a lot like yours at their cat in, in the wintertime. I mean, it was the could be 20 below zero and I still had to be out there feeding the cows but I had a passion for for music so I would sing wherever I went and uh, when I was a kid I'd be out there in in the dark and it would be like below zero and I'd have five scarves wrapped around my head and I and I would be singing at the top of my lungs uh, to the cows I usually would sing something that was like you know Barbara Streisand or you know for something from a musical uh, I was also taking voice lessons at that time so it could be you know an Italian aria or something but I, I was this crazy rancher girl singer person mm-hmm. and so when I went off to college um, I auditioned for the choirs to um, just because I'd always sung and, and that's and I wanted to do that for fun and they said oh well you know if you switch your your major to to music you can have a full scholarship and I'm like well that sounds good my parents will be happy about that so I switched my major I was a radio and television major at the time and in my senior year in high school I'd done a an internship at the local news station. So radio and television made sense. So I switched my major to music and that that turned out to be opera, which really wasn't my bag. And so while I was a music major, I auditioned for a a musical out of the theater department and they said, well, you know, if you switch your major to to theater, you could have a full scholarship. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So, So that's how I landed myself in the theater, which is, you know, not, not, a way that most people would find their way into the theater. <laughs> and so um, when I was in the theater, I, you know, I, I, when, when I was a kid, singing was like breathing to me 
being in front of a, of a group of people and performing was it was it was effortless. I never thought about it. And then I go off to college to study theater, and I'm in these audition situations, and I find that my hands start to sweat, and I couldn't breathe, and and my muscles would tense, and and it was like my whole body was freaking out, and I didn't know you know what the world is going on because like I was like I was hijacked by some aliens or something. And eventually, you know, I would be able to kind of push through it and they would cast me in spite of what I wish, what I'm sure was not my ideal performance. Mm -hmm. And when I would get cast in a production and I'd really connect with the actors on stage with me, all of a sudden it felt effortless and all those nerves would melt away. And I didn't feel any of that, that tension and, and I, you know, I felt, I felt powerful. Like I felt like I was when I was a kid singing on the ranch, right? And um, and then of course, you know, rehearsal would end, and I would step off of the stage, and I'd have to listen to my my director giving us notes, and my jaws would clench up, and my stomach would tense, and all those sensations would come rushing back because I'd staked my worth on what he was going to say. Mm. And so let's fast forward many, many years. I had a lot of different careers through the, through the course of those many, many years. And I land myself in the world of training and development, which I think you can relate to. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I was a hired gun for a big training organization that did, that did engagement work. And so I was being sent out to all of these Fortune 100, Fortune 500 organizations to teach this, these, engagement, these engagement programs. And you know, I, I, I did what actors do. I, you know, cause you can't really help. You can't really help it. Right, Brian. It just, yes. I, I, I would, I would study them as much as I was teaching them mm -hmm. because actors, uh, you know, what comes naturally to us is to, is to step into someone's shoes and understand what, what they're thinking and feeling and what drives them. Mm -hmm. And so what I would notice when I was teaching the, all, all of these, 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 corporate people, which was, you know, I, that was not my world up until then, mm -hmm. um, was that when, when their boss would be in the room or when they were put on the spot or when they, when they had to do something very uncomfortable, I could watch it physically affect the way they showed up in the room. Mm -hmm. And I would watch the way they stopped participating and they would lean back or they would lean in. And I started paying attention to why was this happening? What was going on with them? And it turns out that the same thing that I experienced in the theater was going on with these participants. And that is, you know, the theater is a pretty high stakes place to be, pretty vulnerable place to be, right? You're on a stage, you're in the spotlight, you've got hundreds if not thousands of people watching you, likely judging you, mm -hmm. right? You don't wanna make a mistake, you don't wanna look stupid, you don't wanna fail, all of those things. It's a very vulnerable place to be, you're right there in the spotlight. Turns out the business world is a pretty vulnerable place to be too, right? We, we want to prove ourselves. We don't want to make a mistake. We don't want to look silly. We don't want to fail. We want our boss to like us. All of those same things, right? And so what I noticed is that they were dealing with the same issues, but in the theater, we had tools to work through those issues. And in the business world, everyone was pretending it wasn't happening. Right? Like we're just, you know, we got this and we're going to just muscle through, power through. We're going to pretend right. it didn't happen. And um, so I, I was in the classroom 
for a big, uh, a big Fortune 100 pharmaceutical company. And uh, the director of, of training had sat in on my class and he liked my work and he heard me talk about my, my colorful theater days. Mm. And he went off and Googled me that night and it was a two day class so he could come back the next day. And he found an old website of mine that I had back when I was living in Seattle, Brian. It was, I, I had a, I, I, first I had a, an events company and then I did some coaching um, and it, after I got my coaching certification. And so he had found these old websites and he, he essentially walked right up to me and changed my life. He yeah. said, you know, I've always wanted to do a leadership program based on theater. And I said, hmm, well, you know, I have been noodling something over for years, but haven't had an excuse to develop it. Mm. And so uh, I got permission from the organization I was working with because they didn't want to take responsibility for this person who was developing a weird theater program based on leadership <laughs> theater thing. <laughs> and um, and I developed this full day experiential program for this, this uh, farmer group for their high, high potential sales team. And I was living in Dallas at the time. And I was, you know, I, I was, I was kind of terrified because I thought, oh my gosh, this thing might, this thing might suck. And you know, I don't know it. So I decided to run an open enrollment session of this program. And this is back in 2008, right? So a very different world than it is now. Back in 2008, I ran a two, um, an open enroll, enrollment session of, of the program that I called On Stage Leadership. And it went incredibly well. And um, so well that then when I took it to the, the, the pharma group, it went incredibly well there. And from that point forward, onstage leadership became my, really my calling. I mean, it's, it's, it's my life's work. It's what I was put on this planet to do. So uh, fast forward, I, I was doing onstage leadership for, for about five years, open enrollment sessions, uh, predominantly in Dallas at that time. And people were saying, gosh, you know, the way you talk about this is so different. <laughs> I think they meant that as a good thing. <laughs> but um, they said, you know what, we've, we've never read anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. You should write a book. And I'm like, who am I to write a book? Who am I to write a book? And so I started blogging and uh, I blogged. I made a commitment to myself to blog five days a week, every day for a year. This was my commitment. And I kept that commitment. So I would go on vacation, I would blog. My parents would visit, I'd blog about my parents. You know, five days a week, every, um, every week for a solid year. And then I continued that in for another, another six months. And then I developed the courage to start writing my book. Wow. And, and then, what, you know, what I tell people is I say, hey, look, you know, brave unfolds one situation at a time. We don't own it. It's not something we're born with. It's something we step into on a situation by situation basis. And we earn our brave one baby step at a time. And that's definitely what it was true for me, because during that time when I was blogging, it taught me to learn to, I, that I can count on myself. Right. And I believe that confidence, um, confidence comes from knowing that you can count on yourself. Mm. Right. So I learned that I could count on myself to do hard things and to put myself out there in, in ways that were uncomfortable and scary. And I learned how to hone my own voice and to listen to what what the world and the audience that I was writing for, what what 
what was what were their hungers and their fears and their worries and and how could i how could i tap into that part of myself to be able to connect better with them so i i learned it was it was the best training ground ever um and so you know when i i was about halfway through my book and i still hadn't named the book and i you know it changed a lot over the course of you know this time and I started thinking, well, I can't call this thing on stage leadership. Nobody would know what the heck that means, right? You know, what does this thing mean? Um, and what I realized is that the people in the world who are willing to be who they truly are, powerfully, responsibly, constructively, the one thing that they have in common is their bravery. We all want to be brave and we're all to some degree fighting to be brave every day of, day of our life. And so that's where I landed on brave leadership. And then I went back and rewrote the, the book through that lens. Mm. And um, so, yes, I still run on stage leadership. Uh, maybe again, if there's a vaccine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but really my focus uh, is, is on, on bravery and brave leadership. And, you know, people say on stage leadership, oh, is it just because of the theater tools? But it really, while I use theater tools in this work, it's not about the theater. Mm -hmm. um, it, an actor, you know, people ask me, you know, when I ask them, what, what is, what is an, what does an actor do? You know, what, what, when you think of acting, what do you think it is? And most people say, oh, I think it's pretend. Mm. But the craft of acting is really about the search for truth. Mm -hmm. It's about understanding those characters from a visceral internal space. What do they want more than anything in the world? What drives them? What do they care about? What's the impact that they want to have? And when they can name it, then they can focus their attention on that impact. And that's what allows them to have presence, right? But presence, like profit, is a byproduct. It's a byproduct of focused attention to achieve purpose. I love that. You know, one of the things I was thinking about preparing for this interview that I've learned on stage is also about how to give attention. Because, you know, yeah. as an actor, if you have actors that their toes facing whoever's speaking, that's almost like a spotlight on them versus exactly turn, right. you know, so, and I, and I think related to that kind of going back to when you're in the classroom, I think part of it is not only understanding the character, but you learn to read cues to respond to. Absolutely. And you know what that really comes down to, you know, and what, when, when you were saying to give, to, 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 to get to to give what you say give attention what you yeah say? give the focus or give, give attention. the focus yeah. right give a focus that really is what presence is all about yeah. right people like to think that presence presence is all about you know yeah. um woo, and you know trying to having a great voice and the way you gesture and the language you it really has nothing to do with that presence truly is about first and foremost being present and, and that, that's exactly what you're saying, Brian, is that we have to be so present with the human beings we're connecting with that they feel seen and heard and we're able to pay attention. Am I having the impact that I want to have? Yes or no? Because if you're not fully present with that person, you can't know. Right. You can't know. 
And I really love the story that you shared and something came to mind and I can't really quite figure it out who said it, but it says sometimes we, we can't connect the dots go, look, going forward, but we can't connect the dots looking back. So I'm just thinking of your story of like where you started and where you're at today. I don't think you could have actually predicted that, but yet every single part of your journey was a stepping stone to where you're at today. And while, you know, maybe in like back in the days, it didn't really make sense or you were just doing something you loved in the moment. It's just so beautiful how you just weaved it into who you are today and the expression of who, you know, you want to be in the world and what you want to do for the people so thank you you know I think um we we do ourselves such a disservice thinking that we have to follow a certain career path Mm -hmm. um because we stop listening to ourselves and we stop paying attention to the opportunities that are that are all around us right but if if you can invest in knowing yourself right and stay really sensitive to what are these opportunities and continue to grow and grow and grow the opportunities, you know, there's that old saying opportunity meets preparation, right? Um, But if you're fixated on no, I need to move up the ladder to this place, or this is what my business is going to look like if you're building a business, Mm -hmm. if you get so fixated on what that results going to look like, you miss all these opportunities that are right in front of you. And I am, I am so grateful. And you know, I think when I think about where did that come from? My parents, my parents were so great in that they, they supported whatever I, I wanted to do. They were my, they were my greatest cheerleaders and they never said, no, you can't do this or no, you shouldn't do this. Um, they would sometimes roll their eyes and go, oh, okay, you know, (laughs) (laughs) all right. Um, But I think it's the fact that I knew that they were always on my team was incredible. It was an incredible gift. It was an absolutely incredible gift. And I would, I would love to, if you could just, you know, put yourself in the shoes of those that don't have that support. Yeah. What kind of advice would you give them? Yeah, well, you know, I think one of the things we're really fortunate about in this world that we live in, and this is really just within the last 10 years, right, is that technology has given us access to a, a community that we could never tap into before. I mean, I mean, look at us right now, mm-hmm. right? You're up in the Pacific Northwest and you're in Detroit and I'm in Austin, Texas, and we're having this really rich, amazing conversation and, and where your listeners could be all over the world, which is remarkable when you think about that, right? Mm-hmm. And so where we don't have that in our, in, in our core central life at, in person with our core fa- you know, family, it is really easy to, to create that kind of support in your life nowadays, more easier than it's ever been before. And so I think it's, it's absolutely critical for each one of us to take responsibility, to find the people in the, in the world that are working on themselves, that are committed to being better, that lift, that are committed to lifting others, not criticizing others, that, um, that, that know that there's no such thing as imperfection, right? You know, I don't surround myself with a bunch of egotistical thought leaders who think they know everything because quite frankly, I don't find them very interesting. I get nothing back from that. I don't learn anything. And I think it's a bunch of baloney. 
Because yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody has it figured out, right? right? So I surround myself with people that are hungry to be better, are hungry to figure it out and, and recognize that we can never know it. And we never land on, you know, being done. That we're right. always yeah. working on growing ourselves. That's, that's the community I surround myself with. And I tell you, if I didn't have those people in my life, there is no way I could do the work that I'm here to do. And it also takes as much as, you know, looking for those people as it does calling the people out that aren't able to do that for you. And, and I know I don't mean that in a judgmental, nasty way, but I, like when I jump on Twitter, some people say, oh, Twitter is such a nasty place to be. <laughs> and you know, that can be your experience depending on who you follow. Right. I don't follow those people. I don't, I don't follow them. And so I, when I open my Twitter feed, it is like sunshine and light. It is, right. you know, I can feel down. And I open my Twitter feed and I can probably in two minutes see 50 posts of people that are working to make the, le the world better and want me to win. And so I, we have a responsibility to ourselves around who we surround ourselves with. And, you know, there's that, that old saying, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? You know, you, it's, you cannot do great things in your life and in this world if you are surrounding yourself and, and you, are, you are steeping yourself in negativity and surrounding yourself with, with negative people. Absolutely. And you just reminded me of something. I hope I'm not cutting off, Brian, but um, you reminded me of if you take a box and you throw trash in it, it becomes a trash can. But if you take it and you put jewelry in it, it becomes a treasure chest. Yes! So I love so that. The, the yeah. difference is just what you put in it. Right. Right. Oh, oh I've never heard that analogy before. That's awesome, Kat. <laughs> well, I just want to share to tie, tie into that is I've heard this quote forever, but it really resonated with me a couple of years ago, the old Jim Rohn quotes, you know, those, the five people you surround yourself with. Yeah, yeah. And I made an intention to, uh, I called it my upgrade, my friends, <laughs> you know, because it's not that I was getting rid of people, but it was like, I needed to intentionally join. And I just yeah. think, I love what you're sharing, Kimberly, is you can't just always wait for people to show up into your life. Right. That's right. that is just being intentional about creating that. Absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, I, it's, it's interesting as I've matured, um, when I was younger, I used to, uh, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way, but I used to, I used to collect projects, project people. <laughs> people yeah. I wanted to help. I really wanted to help them. And, um, and, you know, we're all broken in some way. So, you know, there's no, we're all a project to, to some extent, but I would surround people who were committed to, to staying in a broken place. Right. And, um, and, and empathy is one of my strengths. And so I, you know, oh, how terrible for you. And, you know, I would, I would be there and I would listen to them complain and complain and complain and complain and complain and complain and never want to do anything about it. And, um, and I still love them, but I cannot be with them because I can't do the work I'm here to do if, if that's, if that's where I put my energy. So, you know, and I'm not saying that my dear friends can't, uh, unload on me at, at times. I mean, we all have those days. I have those days, you know, we're all human. <laughs> but it's people that are committed to being unhappy because they're getting something back. They're getting attention for it or whatever that might be. They're committed to 
to having the worst boss in the world or having the biggest jerk of a husband or, you know, having whatever that it happens to be. Um, and they're not, they're not willing to take any action to change things. And that's, that's where I, 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 I've learned to set some really strong boundaries with myself. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And, you know, I went through the same thing. And I think at one point I was that person where I was just so committed to the misery I was in. And until like, and I, you kept saying the word responsibility, and I truly agree with it. And when it clicked, I, I just really understood that I needed to take life in my own hands and do the things that I really wanted to do in my life and not so much listen to other people's opinions of what I, they think I could do and buy into that. BS. Well, and you know, Kat, what comes up for me when you say that is that um, we live into we live into our vision for ourselves. So, if if we don't see another possibility for ourselves, it's hard to break that cycle, right? right? You don't see how it can be different by you taking responsibility. You don't know that you, there's something else to do. Mm. right Mm -hmm. and so I think one of our greatest responsibilities as a society is to plant seeds for people to let them know what is possible for them Mm. right and not not enable them but to let them see a different possibility and and it's not just saying look what I did but it's saying look what you can do look what I see as possible for you and and I think we forget to do that for each other in society. Absolutely. You know, we kind of leave people, well, I, I remember, I remember um, about, gosh, hmm, 10 years, you know, 12 years ago, oh, a long time ago. I was living in Dallas. I was doing work um, for the Tarrant County Workforce Board, which, um, which was Fort Worth area, essentially. And um, we were working with a group of at-risk youth. And I mean, these are kids that have had, you know, they're pregnant at 13. They've got parents that are in jail. They've got drug addict parents. They've got, you know, I mean, they're going through some, they're going through it. Mm-hmm. And I grew up on a ranch in Montana. <laughs> you know, what do I know about their world? And so I, w- I wanted to understand because we were doing this strengths program and, I, and, and we wanted them to be able to see, no, you have strengths that you, you know, and, and through the context of the way they looked at the world, nobody had ever told them that they had something to offer the world, right? And so I remember we, um, I set up this meeting with one of the young gals who was considered a su- success story through the workforce board. She had, um, I mean, her, her story was absolutely tragic. She, um, she got pregnant at 13 and um, then her mom had had her like at 14 or 15, right? So she got pregnant at 13 and her mom beat her. And then she got pregnant again at 14 and her mom kicked her out of the house. So now she's homeless. She's got two babies. She's living in a car, right? She ends up uh, with some boy. She ends up getting pregnant again. And that's when the workforce board finds her, helps her get her GED, helps her get a job at a daycare so her kids could be cared for while she was earning money, while she was finishing her degree. I mean, remarkable. And she was this most articulate young woman you know, she walks in with four young kids all under the age of five. Mm. And, um, and it, I remember her saying that she had been so angry all the time because 
she, her mother told, from the time she was born, told her that she was a mistake, that she had ruined her mother's life. And this was, you know, this is what yeah. she lived into, what we just, what we just yeah. talked about. That was all, the only context she saw was possible. Nobody in her neighborhood graduated from high school, much less the idea of going to college. That was like, how could you even think about that? And I remember after this meeting, I get in the car and I'm sobbing. I'm like, you know, ugly crying and on the, on the freeway. And I'm calling my mom and dad with snot dripping out of my face. And I, you know, thank you for loving me. You know, thank you for loving me. And I get home and my neighbor popped by and for a glass of wine. And I'm like, I could really use a glass of wine. <laughs> so she popped by and I'm telling her about this story about meeting this young woman. And my neighbor says, oh, well, you know, I have no problem with people uh, helping people who want to help themselves, but I'm not interested in helping, you know, people that don't want to help themselves. And I looked at her and I said, but this young woman, until someone helped her, didn't see that there was another possibility for her. Right. And you look at that from a societal perspective, right? And where we're letting people down and how can we continue to plant seeds of what is possible and look, look for these people that are falling through the cracks and help them see that, no, you have value. You are not a mistake. You have value. You know, you can do great things in this world. And I tell you what I learned. I mean, I came from upper middle class, very privileged background, right? And I learned more about resilience from this young woman than I'd ever learned in my life. So we all have something we can learn from each other. We all have gifts that we can share, but we need to remind one another that we have gifts. We need to see them in each other. And you being here is actually a huge gift to, to our audience. You know, we do help out um, solopreneurs and small to medium um, sized businesses and consultants. And I would love for you to share how you pivoted during these really trying times with everything that's going on in the world. And what are some tips that people can take to, you know, maybe pivot their business or maybe just step out, out, out of what they're doing and into maybe a different calling. Like, like what are some of your experiences with everything that's going on? Yeah, well, so when COVID happened, um, you know, so what I do, what pays pays me, <laughs> my blogging doesn't pay me. <laughs> Engaging on LinkedIn does not pay me. You know, these podcasts, lovely, they do not pay me. But what pays me is um, is my keynoting and teaching, right? So that's how I make my living. When COVID happened, of course. All of that went away. So all of 2020 disappeared. Some of my teaching went virtual, but not, not a lot of it. Um, and it was interesting because even before COVID hit, I had felt myself getting a little restless and not, not restless in that I didn't like what I did because I feel very privileged to be able to do the work that I get to do in the world, but restless in the fact that I knew that I needed to grow in a new way. And so when COVID happened, I, I had a little bit of an anxiety attack, probably the first, first month or so, mm -hmm. um, about, oh gosh, well, what are we gonna do now? <laughs> and, um, and then I got really curious 
And I think there's a lot of power in curiosity, you know, really curious about, about how could I show up differently in this, really curious about what does the world need from me and really curious about what are different ways that, that I could meet those needs that I haven't explored. And I think, you know, th th those are very basic, simple questions to ask, but they can unlock, they can unlock a whole new destiny, right? So for me, um, they unlocked the, the, the possibility of putting my business online, right? So um, I, I, everything, I, I, everything I've done uh, my entire career up until this point, I have had to be personally be in in the classroom or on a stage or with other people in order to make a living that is that has always been my way of having to earn a living or rather getting to earn a living um and so the idea that i could create value and not be in person was was a real first of all it was a roadblock for me mm -hmm. um but i i'd always known every when I first started writing my book, that my goal was to democratize the conversation around brave, because I believe that we are all far more brave than we know. And that we just, if, if we can get past our own roadblocks, that we can do remarkable things. And I know that that's been true for me. I mean, remember when I started by my, who am I to write a book? Well, you know, you can do really hard things you never think you could do. Mm. Um, and, and so um, when I went back to that, that core thing that I was really after to democratize the conversation around Brave, what it did is it opened up the possibility of, of, well, how do you democratize today? You democratize using the internet. Well, how can I use my work to create a bigger conversation? So maybe, maybe I could be privileged enough to touch someone's life in, you know, I'm, I'm having a conversations with a, a man in, in South Africa right now. And I've got um, people in the Philippines and people in Europe. And I mean, what a gift would that be to be able to bring brave into their lives in a new way. There was a guy that, um, that, that sought me out to buy my book in Lebanon and they didn't sell my book in Lebanon. So I shipped him a book to Lebanon. And, um, and then two months later, they had the, the big explosion and I reached out to him. I said, how are you? you know? And he said, I'm brave. Thank you. Wow. I, I can get Ooh, through this. Thank you. <laughs> you know, and, um, but I think, I think getting really, really curious about yourself and what other people need because if, if, so what purpose is in my world and the context I look at it, it's all about the impact that you want to have. And you can't know what the impact you want to have is unless you get really curious about what other people need from you. You know, how can you have that impact that they need that's going to make a difference in their life? Um, so getting really curious about yourself and how, and, and curious about what other people need and then finding where those two places come together where that intersection is, that's the magic moment. Mm -hmm. That's the magic. <laughs> well, this whole interview has been magic, Kimberly. Thank you so much for your time and, and for sharing. Uh, this is one of our longest episodes for good reason, because it's amazing. <laughs> and we could have gone on for another two hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
But uh, I know our listeners and our audience is going to want to know more about you. And besides buying your amazing book, um, how can they connect with you and, and continue to follow you and, and see what's next for you? Well, so I believe, and, and I think we talked about this earlier, right? I don't think that brave happens in a vacuum. We need each other. And so I find myself all over the place. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I've got a Kimberly Davis author Facebook page that I wear. That's where I do my writing every day. Um, and uh, my website, braveleadershipbook.com, of course. So I, I, I really... I really want to connect in conversation with people around bravery. And I and 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 I and I don't do it from a place of I own, you know, I am the, the guru of all knowledge on brave, because I, I don't believe that that is the case. I believe that I have something to learn from everyone. And so if we can learn from each other, wow, that's that's a pretty cool thing. Great. Well, that's awesome. We also have a community for our audience for this podcast. Uh, it's, if you look up on Facebook, you can interact with Kat and I, uh, as well as other listeners. We do talk about episodes. I think this is going to generate a lot of great conversations. So uh, thank you again. Uh, if, if For those in the audience, you can watch us on YouTube or catch us on your podcatcher of choice. Thank you, everybody. And we will see you next time. Take care.